It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, once again, uh, my name is Ray Sean. Um, just bringing the word this morning. I, I'm one of the leaders of the Glen Allen Community Group. Uh, this morning, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34, or 25 through 34, but I'm going to start off in 24 uh, simply because it kind of bears some weight in this passage. And uh, just before we get started, uh, I, I thought of something um, recently that, that kind of explain what Jesus, I think Jesus is doing in this passage. And uh, about four years ago, I had a, a, just a regular physical checkup at the doctor's and I'm really not a person to, who really likes going to the doctor or likes getting the checkups or different things. I get really kind of anxious and worked up about it. And so, especially the part where, where I sit down and they, they take your blood pressure and I just, my heart really starts going for some reason. And so, uh, I'm not sure what the numbers were. My heart was about beating through my chest. You could probably see it from inside of my shirt. Um, and so what happened was I ended up going back into a room. The nurse comes in and goes, you know, how's everything going? What we're going to do is this, we're going to do an EKG or, or electro, electrocardiograph or something. And so we're going to do this EKG test. And because of the rhythms of my heart, particularly during the, 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 the blood pressure, I guess they were really high and they wanted to do some further testing. So they brought out this EKG and it was supposed to determine the, the rhythm of my heart. And essentially, uh, she started asking all these questions as she was uh, preparing to hook me up to this thing. So she stepped out of the room real quick, and I grabbed my phone, and the first thing I did was text Tiff, my wife, and I was like, hey, what's going on here? What is an EKG? What, what is this? I started Googling it. I didn't know what it was. She brought in this, this thing, and she wanted to put metal disc on my arms, and I was just bugging out. But essentially what this thing was supposed to do was, was to tell the rhythms of my heart and to see uh, what, were, what they were coming from. Were they coming from stress or anxiety or being worked up? So the nurse proceeded to ask me some questions about, do, do you work out regularly? And so I answered yes, three times a week. I play ball. I, I do all this stuff. Do you, are you stressed? Do you work a high-stress job? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm cool. I'm, I'm laid back for the most part. You know, of course, I'm answering everything to, to try if at all possible to not take this test. And eventually she took the test and, and ran the numbers and it ended up being just because I was so nervous about that, that blood pressure level test. But essentially what Jesus wants to do in this passage is to, to bring out the EKG. On our, on our hearts, on, the, on, the, on our hearts, our spiritual condition. He wants to bring out this EKG and, and test where, where our hearts are at. What is the disposition of our hearts? And are we stressed? Are, are we anxious? And this is what he's going to talk about within this passage. So before we jump into Matthew chapter uh, 6, verses 24 through 34, let, let's go to the Lord for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this, for this time. We thank you for just gathering us here. Uh, may we just hear the words of Jesus who lived the perfect life in our place and, and died the death we, we should have died in our place for our sins and uh, help him to be exalted right now at this time in his teachings and his messages. Lord God, transform our hearts. Just show us our, our affections, our dispositions, whether they're bent towards ourselves or whether they're turned towards you. And if, if they are bent towards ourselves, Lord God, turn them towards you and help us to see your, your beauty and your glory and the riches of your grace and goodness. We just ask, Lord God, that you would speak during this time and not me, that it would be your thoughts to go forth and, and not mine, and, and your words and not mine. We just thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34, uh, Jesus has just finished talking in, in verses 19 through 24 about 
our relationship to our, our wealth and our possessions, the things that we have. And we can see that Jesus, in his frame of mind, was talking to people in verses 19 through 24 who had things, who had possessions, who had wealth. But essentially, he's talking to all of us. And, and in the passages 25, passage 25 through 34, Jesus is talking to those who, who, are ser- who are in service to God or mammon, but who don't necessarily have those wealth and possessions. They're, they're worried about things. They're stressed about things. They're still in service to, to mammon or in service to God, but their reaction is, is based on one that they, they don't have, even the necessities. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. As a, as a review from last week, he's, uh, he's kind of reacting to the, the teaching of the Pharisees who, who thought that to have wealth was to equal righteousness and to have righteousness. And so uh, the reaction from those who didn't have wealth and who didn't have possessions was, to, was essentially that they believed they were rejected by God. That if they didn't have wealth, if they didn't have possessions, that, that God somehow didn't care for them and didn't accept them. And so that they would oftentimes worry. They would worry about their necessities. They would worry about their lives. They would worry about the, where, their, where their basic needs were going to come from because they felt that if they didn't have these things, that God wasn't looking out for them, that God was, in a sense, rejecting them. And Jesus wants to correct this frame of mind as he goes through and teaches. And for all of us to just to once again bring us all in the room, we all deal with anxiety. I'm sure if I, if I ask for a raise of hands, we, we either deal with it in one of two ways. We, some of us, we, we outwardly panic and we wonder what's going on and we, 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 we try to fix things and go after our needs and go after the things that we're anxious about. And some of us are more internal. We, you know, myself, I'm more of an internal anxiety person that I'm worrying just as much as the person who's panicking, but it's more of an internal monologue. It's more of a, it's more of a trying to take this Rubik's cube of my problems and, and work them out while, while trying to have nobody notice that I'm worried about it. So Jesus wants to address anxiety. He wants to address what it, what it looks like to be anxious about our lives and the necessities of our lives. And so when he talks in this, this passage, this is what he's dealing with. It's something that, that plagues us during the, our day is, is anxiety. It, it's the result of, of many disorders and many diseases and many different things. And so we see that uh, if, if we've ever been anxious about anything, we want to see what Jesus says to us in this passage. And he uses the, the word anxious roughly six times in this passage. So Jesus is aware of, of the anxiety that we face. He knows the anxiety that, that we deal with, whether it comes from our needs or whether it comes from just being anxious about anything. And so Jesus in this passage, he appears to us as, as the, the reasoning Jesus, and that he's been teaching us all throughout the Sermon on the Mount of, of what it means in our Christian lives to, 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 to have a relationship with God and what it looks like. And so now he, he's reasoning with us. He's talking to people who are anxious. He's talking to people who are, who are stressed, and he just wants to talk with them. He wants to, to reason with them. And he doesn't want to give us a, a commandment as much as he wants to give us an invitation to just, just depend on God, just rest. So he reasons with us through rhetorical questions, through examples, through illustration, and he just, he just wants to sit down and he just wants to talk. Let's just talk it out. Let's, why are you anxious? Why do you need to be anxious? Let me show you how you cannot be anxious. So this is what he wants to do, and just through this passage, I'm just going to go through and I'm going to read and talk and read and talk, and we're just going to identify about, about three different things that we see. There are about three therefores in this passage that we're going to stop at, and the therefores highlight, one, our, uh, the reason that we don't have to be anxious is because of our faith. The next one is the reason that we don't have to be anxious is because of our Father. And then the third, we just, the third reason we don't have to be anxious is because of our future. And so I'm just going to read and talk through this passage and see uh, what Jesus is saying and how he's reasoning with us and that we don't have to be anxious. 
So he starts off in verse uh, 25 through 30. And in verse 24 through 30, I'll go ahead and start there. It says, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So Jesus is talking in, in, in these verses, and he's dealing with our faith is, the, is mainly the reason why we don't have to be anxious. And so he's instructing us, firstly, what, what he's done all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's instructing us of what not to do again. Do not be anxious about your life. As soon as he instructs us on not being anxious about our life, he, he in a sense defines that and how we see life. And he, he breaks it up in two different categories. He talks about our, our, our physical well-being and he talks about our, our material well-being. And he says uh, about our physical well-being, it's what you eat and what you drink. And our material well-being of, of what we put on, what we wear, our clothing and those external things. These things were very important to the people of this day because these things were harder to come by than, than they are with, for us today. The people had to make their clothes. They had to, 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 to plant their crops and wait for them to grow. And so these were necessities that were essentially hard to come by if you didn't have the, the wealth or the money or possessions or those things to, to get them. And so Jesus is, is breaking these things up into two categories, our, our physical well-being and our material well-being. And so it's from these two areas, like we said, that, that worry attacks us the most. And many of us, we don't deal with these things on, on this base level, but we still get anxious about, about those things that we feel are needs. This is where worry attacks us the hardest. We need sustenance in order to live, and we need clothes in order to interact and live in the, in the world around us. And our attitude towards these things is not optional. This is not, it's not just optional of whether we can have food and, and drink, and it's not just optional of whether we can have clothes to, to, to walk around on, on this planet and interact in this world. These things are needs. They're, they're a must in order for us to live. And so if we don't have these things, it results in worry, it results in fear, it results in, in, in just panic and anxiety. And so Jesus, in this next verse, he implements the, the use of rhetorical questions. And he, he asked these rhetorical questions to prove this point. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus, is, his speech is really simple and really plain in this, in, this, in this passage. And he just wants to talk to us and not just give us these really deep or, or even deeply theological reasons of why we shouldn't be anxious, but he's just asking rhetorical questions. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he proceeds to give us these examples of uh, illustrating why we don't have to be worried about these things. So when he says it's not life more than food and the body more than clothing, his point is that our lives are, of course our lives are about much more than just feeding our faces and, and getting things to drink just to stay alive. And of course our bodies are about more than just putting clothes on them. It's about what we're doing in this life, how we're accountable to God in this life. Life is more than just these things and obtaining these things. So our concern for these things, Jesus is not saying that our concern for these things is illegitimate and that we should just sort of just let go and just let God and, and just, it is what it is. If I have these things, I have them. If I don't, I don't. Our concern for these things is legitimate. It's, it's valid. Jesus is giving us that, that we do have to have these things in life. But as sinners, we often tend to, to overanalyze and even idolize the pursuit of these things and obtaining these things. And this is what Jesus wants to address, our heart condition and, and our pursuit of these things and pursuit of our, of our needs. 
And it's also, it's ultimately the difference of becoming a good steward or a good slave. What Jesus addressed in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 is that he says you cannot serve God and mammon. So you're even either serving God or you're serving your possessions or, or things or the personification of, of riches or, or money or wealth. And so as good stewards, we're, we're to, to, to take care of our, our bodies. We're to take care of our, the things that we're given. We're to, to provide for ourselves clothes and, and what we need in this life to interact. And we're to be a, a good steward over these things. But a slave to these things, Jesus tells us we're not to be. We're not to be enslaved to these things so that all we're doing is pursuing these things. All we're doing is going after these things and seeking to find fulfillment and satisfaction in these things and to define ourselves by these things. It's interesting that many of the advertisements that you can see on the internet or pick up in a, in a, in a magazine somewhere in your doctor's office or dinner's office or, or magazine subscription has to deal with these very things, food or drink or clothing. And what the world would tell us is that life is about the pursuit of these things in order to find satisfaction. You need these things, so why not just get these things and enjoy these things and find fulfillment in these things? Jesus wants to point our hearts into, to, to what we can truly find fulfillment and satisfaction in. And so he, pre, he proceeds on in giving two examples, and one, address, one, one example addressing our, our physical well-being and the other example addressing our material well-being. And he proceeds further and he says, he gives these two examples. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And then he also says in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? So this first example that he, that he gives is, is an application to our, to our physical well-being, our life, the food, the drink that we get, the things that we need in order to, for sustenance to sustain ourselves, our nutrition to continue to live. And just three observations from this passage that Jesus is talking, he directs us to the birds. The first thing we see that is that birds do not sow or reap or gather into barns. Birds don't sow or reap or gather into barns. God feeds the birds. And that we're more valuable than the birds. So ultimately it has to do with our, uh, we, we, we have these things. Birds don't sow or reap or gather into barns, but we do. Because our role is greater in creation, because God has given us more in creating us and giving us a role so that we can sow, we can reap, we gather into barns. We do those things. Birds don't do those things. Yet he's saying that God still feeds the birds, so our role is greater. The next thing is that God feeds the birds, and, and, and essentially he's saying that our heavenly Father feeds the birds. That to, to, to those who believe and trust in God, and he is our hope that, that we have a greater relationship. He's, he's our heavenly Father. And then the next thing is that we are more valuable than the birds. We have a greater value. And that God, he even feeds the birds who, who are just his creation and he, he looks after them and that his eyes on the sparrow and that no bird can fall to the ground without his, his sight, without him seeing it. If he pays that much attention to the birds, to the sparrows, will he not much more pay attention to us? And see us, we have a greater role, we have a greater relationship and we have greater value. This is what Jesus wants to communicate to us and that it's just a really simple illustration and example that if God looks after and takes care of these birds, will he not much more take care of us? He's just saying, have some relief here, relax here, trust in your heavenly father here. He's going to provide for you, he's going to take care of you. And then he continues on and says we can't, that we can't by, by worrying or stressing even add an hour to our lives. 
We can steward our lives well, we can exercise, we can take care of ourselves, we can eat right, but we, we can, shouldn't expect to just be adding some more time or more, more, more hours to our life by worrying about these things. By worrying, by anxiety, by fear, we, we can't add an hour to our life. And in the parallel passage to this in Luke 12, Jesus says that, that if you can't do something as small as add an hour to your life, why should you even, but why should you be concerned about the rest? About wondering where your food is coming from and wondering where your clothes are coming from. Jesus looks at this adding an hour to our life as a, as a small thing. And that's his, his deity talking that only he can do something as, as simple as that. We can't add to our lives, but we can rest and trust in the fact that our lives, our physical bodies are in the hands of God. And while we should steward them well, we should ultimately rest in the fact that, that God is in control, that God is, he has numbered our days, that he has ordered our steps, and that he will provide and, and take care of those who are, who are his. And so in the next, next example, Jesus moves on to flowers, and he, he notes about the, the, the three same observations that, that he says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, O little faith? And so what Jesus is saying in this, in this second example is this has to do with our material well-being. This has to do with, with our clothes and the things that we need as far as interacting in, in this world and in this life that God will take care of these things as well. And if we look at birds, we can say, oh, birds, they're, they're, they're living, they're flying around, they, they have life, they, they go after their food, they pursue it. I, I see what you're saying, Jesus, but the thing that he moves on, that he drives in deeper is that he's talking about flowers next. Flowers don't hunt, flowers don't fish, flowers don't dive in for their food and pursue it. He's talking about inanimate flowers. Flowers have to be planted, flowers have to be watered, flowers have to be grown. They don't do these things for themselves. God does these things for them. And so what Jesus is driving home even further in this, in this illustration is that God will take care of us. He will take care of us in the same way he takes care of the flowers. They neither toil nor spin. What he means by this, I think is what he's saying is that they don't, leave, they don't dress themselves. So Jesus is looking at the example of flowers and saying, you see how beautiful they are? How, how even more beautiful they are than Solomon arrayed in his finest clothing? You think they dress themselves like that? Jesus is saying, no, no, but, but the Father, God clothes them like that. Will he not much more clothe you? And that doesn't mean that we'll all be clothed in, in the array like Solomon had, that we'll all be walking around in the finest and, and greatest and riches of clothes, but it, it, it means that God provides for us, that his eye is on us. So he clothes the grass, and, and ultimately the same thing, we're, we're of more value than the grass. And then he concludes this part of it by saying, oh, you of little faith. And Jesus is saying ultimately that the reason that we're anxious, the reason that we're fearful, the reason that we're in panic about these things, about our needs, about the necessities of life is, is because we, are, we have little faith. Our faith is, is little. Our faith, the issue of why we can't, why we don't trust God and why we don't uh, cling to him for our provision is, is one of faith. We don't, we don't believe him. We don't believe that he can do that for us. So worry is the result of doubting and distrusting God and who he is and, and what he has done. Little faith, what he's saying here, it doesn't mean that we're completely faithless. 
It doesn't mean that we don't trust him at all. It doesn't mean that we don't believe in him at all. But, but what little faith means is that, is that our faith is hindered. Our faith is blocked. Our faith is diminished in some sort of way. It, it, it's kind of this anxiety. It causes us to look towards God on one, on one angle and then look towards our, our needs and our, the things that we need in this life on this other a- angle. And it just kind of keeps us from, from being, it, it keeps us looking in this double vision. I played middle school basketball in and, and high school and and also, uh, oh, I was running down court one time, and I had this thing of, of being really nervous and, for, and playing in front of people. I could go out and play by myself, and, and right around 14, 15, I was just really nervous when it came to playing in front of people. So I would drive down the court. I had this open layup on a fast break, and there was this kid who was about five inches shorter than me behind me. And he was about just as fast as I was, and I was running towards the hoop. My eye, my eye was on it. I was going for it. I was about to lay the ball up, and because I was, while I was running, I was keeping my eye on, on how fast he was coming. And Granted, I was five inches taller. I was going to lay the ball up and, and go and be just fine. But because, the, because I was worried, because I was looking at where he was at and what position he was in and what he was going to essentially do, I became anxious. The kids stuffed my shot and I, I laid on the floor embarrassed. And so that's what happens when we are anxious about things, that we're, we're constantly looking, toward, looking towards God, but looking towards our needs and saying, I'm doubting here. I'm, I'm distrusting in, in God and what he can do and what, the, what, what my focus should be. Like what we were talking about last week, the good eye and anxiety, fear, and, and the needs and worries of life end up stuffing our shot. And so what Jesus is saying that little faith doesn't mean no faith. It's not saying that we have no focus or or look on God, but it implies a deficient faith or or faith that's hindered in God. So as we ask ourselves this morning, is is it hard for us to believe in God's provision for us? Is it hard for you to to believe in the provision of God where you know you trust him, you know you believe him, you know he's the the savior of your soul, you know he's forgiven your sins, you know he's brought brought you to himself, you know he's given you Jesus. But when it comes to the needs and the provision of this life, you're just, you're looking, you're looking back. You're, you're, you're stuttering, you're stutter stepping, you're, you're not sure what to think about that. You're not sure if God cares for your needs or cares for your provisions. Why don't you believe in his provision? Why don't we trust him to, to provide? Sometimes, like I just said, it's, it's easier to believe that God has made provision for our souls over the provision that he'll, he'll make for our lives. And the reason sometimes that, that we do this is because we experience hurt. We experience pain. We experience just shortcomings. We experience being in need or in lack. You may have experienced some sort of sickness. You may have experienced some sort of, of lack or financial lack or some sort of thing where it just caused you pain. It just caused you to, to bottle up and worry that you had to seek yourself and seek, and seek your own ambitions in order to get those things. You just didn't know what God thought about it. Could have lost someone or lost something. And therefore, you know that, you know that God has saved your soul. You know that, you know, no doubt that your salvation is secure in Christ. But you're not really sure what God believes about your life. Jesus wants us to know in this passage that, that God is good that he is a heavenly father and that if we are his children, if we have been adopted and we've been made heirs because of Christ and believing and hope in him, he's in control. He's he's concerned about our lives. He's concerned about our needs and he cares about us and he will make provision. So Jesus, he he continues further on in this passage and this is where we'll spend the majority of our time left and he's talking about how God is, is a father to us. 
In verse 31 through 33, Jesus says, he says, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus is talking firstly about our faith and now he's moving on to, to talk about uh, the, the reason that we don't have to be anxious or, or fearful is because of our heavenly father. So he gives another clear exhortation to, to not be anxious. And in this passage, in this, these particular verses, he, he clarifies who he's talking to. Jesus isn't establishing this, this universal fatherhood of God or this universal brotherhood of man and that none of us on this earth have to be worried at all about our lives or things because God is our, our father and we're all brothers. He's not saying that. He makes a, a clear line in the sand as to who he's talking about in this passage. The contrast he makes is in, this verse, in these verses is with Gentiles or, or pagans who don't know God and who don't have any hope in him. And then he's contrasting those who, who are sons and who are daughters and who are children of God, who, who hope and trust in God as their treasure and who see him with good and clear sight and who serve him as he is their master, as he, as he stated in the previous verses before. So Jesus compares the Gentiles, he, gets, he compares the Gentiles' perspective on these things, food and drink and clothing, with the Christian's perspective on these things. And the Gentiles, he says, the Gentiles are described as seeking after these things, as pursuing these things, fervently going after these things, saying what he said previously is that these, these are life, this is my life. Food, drink, clothing, what I can get out of these things and how I can get these things. So what he's saying is that their, their life consists in the accumulation of these things, that their hope is in these things for survival and for satisfaction. So today, it, it, what we're saying is that if you do not know God, if you do not have, trust in him as your hope, as your, as your treasure, if you do not see the beauty and the glory that comes from Jesus Christ and living in your place and dying for your sins, maybe you reject that. Maybe you say, I'm good on my own. I don't need religion. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus, whatever you call it. There's, there's reasons for you to worry. There are legitimate reasons for you to be concerned about your life. Jesus tells us in this passage that, that, according, that the Gentiles, your life will be spent fervently seeking and, and serving your master who is, who is mammon for your daily bread with no guarantees. These questions of what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear, yeah, they'll cloud your vision. They'll cloud exactly, they'll cloud your life and, and, and the, the pursuit of your life and it will only be about those things. And you won't see life as anything more. And in seeking these things, you'll, you'll seek to accumulate them and treasure them for yourself on earth. You'll store these things up for yourself, believing that this, this is what life consists of. So Jesus, he says that to, to you if, you, if you don't believe, if you reject that, he's, he's looking and he's saying that there's, there's another way. There is secure provision. There is true treasure. There is better sight. There is a way to know that, that you will be taken care of. Not after your own selfish ambitions, not for your own survival or satisfaction, but to the glory of God, to the glory of uh, our Heavenly Father if we believe and trust in Him. And so what Jesus is saying that God in His, essentially this isn't denying that God in His goodness in some ways does provide for all mankind. Jesus said previously in, in Matthew chapter 5 that, that the sun rises on, on the good and the evil, that God in His, in his common grace is what some theologians call it, in his, in his beneficence, allows good things to happen. He, he does care for his creation. 
But this provision that, he's, that Jesus is talking about in this passage, this, this heavenly father that what, caring for his children is only limited to those who trust in him. His eye is on his children. His eye is after those in the same way that a father's eye is on his child and, and, not, on the, and the, not on the eye, his eye is on the, the, the provision of other children. God is after provision of his children. And this is what Jesus is saying the Christian's perspective is. That he gives us two exhortations to why we do not have to be anxious. And the first one is that our heavenly father knows that we need him. And that we're to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to us. So the first one is that he talks about our heavenly father. That God simply isn't our creator or overseer, but he's a father. Excuse me. And he's a father who loves us and adopts us as his children. He's a father that sends his son so that he can, he can bring us to himself. That if we believe and trust on him in the work of Christ, that he will adopt us. That he makes us sons and heirs. He makes provision for us. Our father knows that we need all of these things. Our, our all-knowing and our all-powerful father is aware of what it takes in order for us to live. He knows our needs. He, he is aware of our needs. He's aware of the things that we need in this life. And Jesus is saying that he provides. He knows better than we do, and therefore, he provides what we need. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus tells us that, that we don't have to be anxious and we don't have to, be, have to fear on the basis that God is our heavenly father. And he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we see that, that we don't have to be fearful, we don't have to be anxious because we have a father. And like I said just previously, that Jesus is the reason that we are able to pray to him, that we are able to seek him, that we're able to enjoy him as father. That God now in all things causes us to be conformed in a fatherly way, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He's looking after us. He cares for us. He seeks to provide for us on the basis that we are his children, that he loves us as much as he loves his beloved son and his only begotten son, Jesus, if we're in him and if we trust in him. That we don't have to fear because we have a father, that our father is pleased. God looks on us with, with pleasure because of Christ. He's satisfied with us because of the work of Jesus. And our father is pleased and he's not just, he's just pleased with us, but he's pleased to be generous to us. He wants to give us a kingdom. And it's on this basis that we don't have to worry. The basis that we have a father in God who cares for us and, and wants to provide for us. He wants to give us a kingdom and, and bring us to himself to live eternally. So the next thing is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God's kingdom and God's righteousness are to be the, the first priority in the life of the Christian is what Jesus is saying. That we're to seek his kingdom first. And this goes back to, to Matthew chapter 5 where he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Seeking first the kingdom of God is, is what it means to seek after heavenly treasure, to, to put God first, to see what he desires, to see what his will is, as Jesus instructed us how to pray that your kingdom come, that your will be done. To not look at, at the, the needs of our lives and our own selfish ambitions and ends as a source of satisfaction and finding fulfillment, but to look to God, to look to our heavenly father and determine and see what he wants. It's setting our minds on things above and not things that are on the earth, but beholding and looking at Jesus and his work and seeing how am I to live in light of that? 
And so the, the main difference of why, what Jesus is talking about here is the, the reason that the Christian's pursuit of, is different than the Gentile's pursuit of these things is because our perceived needs are different. The reason that Jesus is saying the Christian doesn't have to be anxious and the reason that the Christian doesn't have to be fearful is because the, the, the perceived need is different. See, the Gentiles' greatest problem in life is saying that I've got to have these things. My, the Gentiles' greatest problem, the, the person who doesn't believe and trust in Christ, their greatest problem is making provision for themselves in this life, getting and seeking after these things. But the, the Christian's greatest problem the Christian's greatest reason for, for worry and for concern is seeing a holy God. It's seeing their sin. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's no longer my needs that are the greatest concern. It's, it's, it's my sin. It's my soul. It's my relationship with God. And that prompts the pursuit of righteousness. That prompts the pursuit of how is a man made just before God? How is my sin taken away? And then when we see the cross, when we see the work of Jesus, that's the answer. My greatest problem is taken care of because of the cross of Christ. His living in my place and dying for my sin is, is, is totally taken care of, so I have no need to worry about the rest. I have no need to worry about his provision and all of the things because he, he's provided in the, the greatest area, the, most, the deepest and the most weighty area of my life, my sin and my shortcoming and my, my missing the mark before God. So the Christian can rest, he can relax, he can enjoy God, he can enjoy life truly because his perspective is in the right place. He knows that like Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how, how would he also not with him graciously give us all things? The reason that the Christian is, is not anxious, the reason that Jesus tells us that we don't have to be anxious is because God has provided. He's provided in the work of Jesus. And so if he is given, if he is spared not his only son, will he not much more graciously with him give us all things? If he's taking care of my greatest need, will he not much more take care of these, these, smaller, these, these smaller needs? We can rest in that. We can enjoy that, knowing that our perspective in life has is, is now been changed. It's now been settled. Christ has died for our sins, so that if we believe and hope and trust in him, then we can enjoy God. We can enjoy life. Whether, even whether these things come the way we want them or not. So Robert, Robert Murray McShane says, he has this, this saying, he says, for every look itself, take 10 looks at Christ. For every look itself, for every look at your sin, for every look at your unrighteousness, Take 10 looks at Jesus. And we could even say that this applies to the things that we, we see in our life, the, the worry that comes with looking at our necessities and maybe seeing them met or not. For every look at your needs, for every look at your worries, take 10 looks at Jesus. If God has made provision for us in giving of his son, will he not much more graciously give us all things? So how do you react? What is your reaction to your heavenly father? What is your reaction like in light of, is it, is it more of a, a Gentile's perspective or is it more of a, of a Christian's perspective? Is it fear and worry resulting in a, in a more fervent seeking after these things or is our reaction one that trusts in the goodness of our Heavenly Father and His provision? So what about this saying, all these things? Well, all these things, let's, let's define that. Jesus, what he's saying is that all these things, you're saying all these things will be provided for. What happens generally is people tend to, tend to run a big dump truck through this passage. 
They say all these things means, oh, it's whatever I want. It's whatever I, I, I need. It's whatever I've got. It's whatever I'm, I want. I can have anything I want because he's made provision for me. These things are, are not whatever we want. This, this does not mean that God, that, that we will be dressed like Solomon, like I said previously, or that we'll have labor-free lives like birds. Jesus is also not saying that seeking the kingdom of God first is a means to pursuing whatever you want in life. This isn't saying that I'm going to seek the kingdom first if God decides, if God gives me a house. I'm going to seek the kingdom first if God, if God, you give me this car. If I, I'm going to seek the kingdom first if you give me this job or if you give me this. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's trying to do is to, to divert our, our perspective, to divert our attention, our ambition on, on God and his righteousness and his kingdom, his priority first. And to know and to rest in that on the basis of that, all the things that we need in this life will be taken care of. This verse isn't saying that, also not saying that hunger or thirst or nakedness or famine or, or suffering will never come knocking at our doors. Jesus isn't saying here that, that you're going to have a suffering-free life if you just decide to put the kingdom of God first. The New Testament talks the exact opposite way, that through many tribulations will enter the kingdom of God. So what does this mean? We see that God never withholds any good thing from his people. Psalms 84, 11, that God never withholds anything, anything good from those who walk blameless because of Christ and his substitution on our behalf and that we're seen as blameless and, and, and righteous before God. God now with no holds no good thing from us. He sees our needs and sometimes our needs are defined differently from what he, th- he knows we need but he knows that he, he know, know that he never withholds anything good from us. Let this be of encouragement to you if you've, if you've felt that pain or if you've felt that, that hesitation in trusting God because something bad has happened. Know that God never withholds anything good from his people. Know that he will always provide for our needs according to his will. This is what Paul says in Philippians 4, and that if his kingdom is, is sought and his will is prior, prioritized supremely in our lives, we can rest in and cast our anxieties on him, as, as 1 Peter says. We can cast our anxieties on him knowing, knowing that he knows our needs. So what do we say concerning those who, who have been believers, who have perished in some way because of oppression or because of lack? We see injustice in the world. There are Christians who have died because of hunger, because of famine, because of nakedness. What do you say about those people, Jesus? You say that suffering still comes, people are are wiped out, Christians are wiped out every day. Martyrs dying for the faith because of hunger, because of famine. I thought you said all these things would be provided. The world we live in is fallen, it's it's subjected to the effects of sin. Romans chapter eight deals with this, that, that God subjected because of Adam's sin and because Adam's transgressions of the world was subjected into futility and God subjected that world into futility in hope. We live in a world that there, that there, there is oppression that goes on, there is injustice, injustice that goes on. There's famine, there's nakedness, there's, there's sword, there's peril. Does the promise not apply to, to those who go through these things? No, the promise applies to to all who believe and trust in Christ, that all these things will be provided. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 37. If you want to turn there really quickly, we, we can look at this and see. It's on the basis of our Father that, that, that we don't have to worry about anything. 
Romans chapter 8, verse, I'll start at verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors in these things. That if we face famine, if we face hunger, if we face peril or nakedness or sword, and if as a result we perish in those things or because of those things, or even if we temporarily experience those things, that we are still more than conquerors, that God has still provided for us, and that his provision will come in, in one way or another, whether it's in this life or the next. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus guarantees that those who would hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Then the next he gives is that God gives greater provision. He gives greater provision. He gives life forever. He gives bodies that never hunger and never thirst. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, he talks about this. Then when we're brought to him for eternity, we will hunger no more and thirst no more. So the promise applies that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added to us. In this life, in the next life, when, when God knows our needs, when our heavenly father sees our needs, he, he addresses these things. He provides for us. So the last thing we see in this passage in Matthew chapter 6 is, is our future. We don't have to worry because of our future. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's on the basis of God's provision for our lives as his children that we're able to approach tomorrow with that, without anxiety. One of the quotes as I was preparing for this that someone gave uh, it was, it was, do not worry about tomorrow. You did that yesterday. We don't have to be anxious about tomorrow and, and looking back in, in light of, of seeing that if, if our faith is in God, if we trust him, know that he will provide for us. We don't have to be anxious about tomorrow because we have a heavenly father who will provide for us. We don't have to be anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow is in his hands. There's enough trouble for today. There's enough trouble. Tomorrow has its own trouble that will be addressed. But as long as we have a heavenly father, as long as we are in Christ and we know that God is providing for us and that he sees our needs, then we can, we, can, we can rest in today. We can address today. We can go forward in today. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about tomorrow as far as making provisions or preparing for it. But he's saying that worrying and becoming anxious about tomorrow is useless. It's out of our control. God gives sufficient grace for today and his mercies are new every morning. Let this exhortation, let this encouragement from Jesus of what he's saying that if we seek after the righteousness of God which is found in him, if we trust in him, if we seek first his kingdom and, and rest in that, God gives us mercies, new mercies every morning. He gives us grace to face today, to face tomorrow. We don't have to worry about our future because it's ultimately in the hands of our loving and gracious Father. 
who has provided for us in Jesus. And it will provide, provide all these things in our life. Let's go to the Lord for a word of prayer. Father God, we just, we thank you for your word. Lord God, we just thank you for the encouragement that's found in Jesus. We thank you for the, the just the, the, the words that he has, he's put forth here in dealing with our anxieties and dealing with our very real worries and very real concerns and fears about our life. We thank you that he provides very real comfort and very real grace in his words in, on this passage, Lord Jesus. We thank you for what you said. We thank you for, for living the life in our place that we should have lived and dying in our place for our sins. We thank you that if we rest in that, we can, we can know that you're interceding for us. We can have assurance that our heavenly father, is, his eye is on us. He knows our needs and that he will provide for them both now and for eternity. We thank you for these things, Lord Jesus. We thank you that your word will go forth and accomplish what you sent it to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.